So there's some uh, hazards to being married to a musician. Any, any folks that are married to Christians like, yes. Anybody that's married to a musician, uh, there are some hazards that come along with it. I won't go into all the hazards this morning, um, but, uh, but one in particular. You know, if you're married to somebody that you know, plays the guitar, I mean, I'm, I know there's a lot that goes with that, or if they play the, the flute or something. But if you're married to somebody who plays a piano, um, part of what ends up happening is every time you move, you got to move this piano with you. You found, you found this to be true. And, and, and not only do you have to move the piano to multiple different locations, but every house we've lived in, the piano has taken residence in multiple different rooms in the house. And I, I, try, to, I try to be, um, you know, keep myself as strong as I can, but I haven't figured out a way that I can just pick up that piano by myself and move it. And so every time that's had to be moved, either within the house or from one house to the next, I've had to rely on friends uh, who would help carry the load, help them pick it up, help move it, help load it, help unload it. And uh, I remember when we moved to, um, when we moved from, from Cross Plains to Birmingham, I had friends who, they helped us move the whole U-Haul, and then, uh, and including the piano, and then a couple of, of my friends, Josh and, and, and Clay, uh, they, they followed us, uh, went with us all the way to, um, to Birmingham, and then helped us uh, load all of our stuff into a new house. That's, 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 that's good friends, okay? And, uh, and when we moved into our house uh, outside of Birmingham, uh, we were struggling to get this piano loaded up because it's heavy already, it's hard even in flat places, but we had to go through the back uh, yard, and the backyard was on a slope about like this. And then there were steps, and then there were more steps. And, and so we're just struggling with this thing, and it's not easy. Our feet are slipping, and I look back, and our new neighbors that are behind us are kind of just standing in the yard with their hands in their pockets like this, and they're really sympathetic. They're, they're really taking pity on us, but nobody rushed over to say, hey, can we help you, you know, uh, can we help you uh, carry that? And we don't have to be a genius to, to know, like, what kind of friend you would rather have. It's easy to find people that'll shake, if you're in a bind, they'll shake their head and say, hmm, yeah, that really looks tough. Man, hate to see you struggling with that piano. Uh, versus the friend that says, hey, let me grab an end of that. And, and, and what kind of friend are we called to be? Are we called to be the friend that just kind of looks on with pity and sympathy or the friend that rolls up our sleeves and jumps in and helps? Um, this past couple weeks, um, I've had friends, I've had a, an ongoing plumbing issue and I'm thankful for uh, George uh, has bared, bared, born, George is born, uh, uh, burdens uh, with me and for me and helped me. Jerry Stapp uh, with, a, with a, uh, an issue over the weekend came alongside and, 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 and both of those men are just great at, at, at doing for others what they couldn't do on their own. Um, I'm thankful for Travis and Megan Janice who saw Son and I struggling with our foster kiddos and, and they went through all the grueling process of becoming uh, respite care providers and, and, and babysat our, our foster kiddos all weekend long and just gave us a minute to just take a breath. And, and in each of those cases, friends saw a need in our life. They saw a burden we were carrying and, and they said, uh, let me help you with that. And one of the questions that um, love asks is love asks, how can I help? Love doesn't always know what to do, but love asks, how can I help? And so feelings accompany love. We talk about this a lot. There's, there's feelings that accompany love, um, but feelings are not a substitute for love and, and, and because love is active. And so sometimes we just feel a certain way. We see somebody struggling and we, oh, man, I feel bad about that, but, but that doesn't really accomplish anything, does it? Feelings are not a substitute 
for love. In 1 John 4, verses 7 through 10, we read that God is love and that God manifests his love for us in sending Jesus to be the sacrifice, the offering, the, the, the atonement for our sin. Uh, Jesus didn't just sit in heaven and kind of shake his head with pity at us. He came. He became one of us. He moved into our neighborhood. He put on our flesh, and he paid the price that none of us could. Love is active. And throughout this series, Refocus, we're talking about the things that love does. Love serves, we've said. Love honors. Love encourages. And today, love bears burdens. So in Galatians 5 and 6, Paul is describing uh, how a spirit-filled, spirit-led community looks. He's talking to us about how spirit-filled, spirit-led people live. Um, And this example that Paul gives of spirit-led living, spirit-led community may seem surprising. He doesn't describe visions and wonders. I mean, that's amazing, and I'm all for visions and wonders. But when he he wants to get at the heart of what does spirit-led community look like, what does spirit-filled living look like? He doesn't talk about spirit, uh, visions and wonders, but he gives us a vision of self-sacrificing love that makes those around us wonder what is going on with these people. So we don't have to look very far to see um, people in our world, ourselves included, are carrying baggage. Burdens, sin, hurts, frailties um, in our marriages, in parenthood, in our friendships. You know, kids are driving driving us crazy, finances are fried, emotions are frayed, relationships are strained. And, and, and as we talk about bearing burdens for one another, carrying weight for one another this morning, I'd like us to bear in mind that you can't fix anyone, but you can point them to the one who can. You can't fix anybody, period. But you can point them to the one who can. You can't fix anybody, but you can come alongside somebody and say, let's fix our eyes on Jesus together because life comes into focus when we focus on Jesus. So how does the Spirit, who Paul has said at the end of Galatians 5, verse 23, 24, he said that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. How does the Spirit, whose first fruit is love, lead us to respond to burdened people all around us? When we see somebody with a burden, how does the Spirit of God lead us? To respond. Well, first, uh, love passionately pursues re- restoration. That's what love does. Love passionately pursues restoration. God's the God of restoration. Love passionately pursues restoration. And so um, in, in, in chapter 5 of Galatians, verse 25, Paul writes, if we live by the Spirit, now he's talking about Spirit-filled, Spirit-led living, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Now, if we're keeping in step with the Spirit, if we're dancing with the Spirit of God, there's going to be some really unpredictable things happen. God ever, in, uh, uh, ever gets you in a situation, you wonder, how in the world uh, did I get into this? You've seen the movie The Greatest Showman, and, and we kind of walk around the halls and we just sing, this is the greatest show pretty regularly because, uh, man, the kingdom of God is crazy sometimes, and God will get you into situations uh, that you just never saw, take you places you never, you never imagined going. That's, that's, that's what God does. So uh, being led by the Spirit is unpredictable, but at the same time, being led by the Spirit is going to have some very, very predictable results. 100% of the time, God's Spirit is going to produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, 
goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 100% of the time, the Spirit of God is going to lead us to sacrifice ourselves and bear the burdens of one another. 100% of the times, God's Spirit is going to lead us to serve others. And if that's not happening in our lives, we need to ask ourselves what spirit we're being led by. What spirit is controlling my life? Because God's Spirit, even though He's going to do unpredictable things, He's going to form us and transform us in some very predictable ways. All right? And so Paul is talking about uh, keeping in step with the Spirit. Verse 26, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And so interestingly, Paul is saying that the, the, the opposite of walking in the Spirit and being led by the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit, the opposite of that is to be conceited or prideful, provoking one another, envying one another. And so conceit or pride or arrogance says, look at me, I'm better than you. And it's an over-focus on self. And so some of us right now are thinking, yeah, like so-and-so. Man, they are so conceited. And, and I love what, uh, what Paul writes in Mere Christianity, or Paul writes, C.S. Lewis writes, here's Paul, here's C.S. Lewis. What C.S. Lewis writes in Mere Christianity, uh, he says, if one would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. If you think you are not conceited, it means you are very conceited indeed. How about that? So conceit is an overfocus on myself, and envy is an overfocus on other people. Conceit says, look at me, look at how great I am. Envy says, oh no, that person over there has it better than I do. Um, and both conceit and envy, pride and envy, lead to provoking, he says, let us not provoke one another, becoming conceited and envy. Both conceit and envy lead to provoking and fracturing of relationship. Both lead to a twisted view of ourself, God, and others. But life comes into focus as we focus on Jesus. The antidote to self-focus and the antidote to obsession with other people is to fix our eyes on Jesus. And so conceit and envy, they oppose the Spirit of God, destroy marriage, destroy friendship, destroy family, community, work, whatever, the alternative to living a life of conceit and envy is to live a life led by the Spirit of God. And so think about your relationships. Think about relationships that are fractured or strained or broken. What role have conceit, pride, and envy played? And I'm willing to bet they showed up somewhere in there. And so what does repentance look like? All right, so in Galatians 6, uh, one through five, Paul's going to shift gears towards bearing burdens for one another, but he still has in mind this is what spirit-led, spirit-filled, spirit-empowered people do. Okay, um, people filled with love are going to be characterized by a willingness to crucify our conceit, cru die to our pride, and instead of taking a posture of superiority, Paul's going to say, we're going to take a posture of servanthood, and we're going to bear each other's burdens, and we're instead of, going to, instead of saying, hey, look at how great I am, we're going to say, can I please help you with your baggage? Can I help you carry that? Something that love is going to constantly ask is, can I help with that? So love acts, love bears, Love carries burdens. So chapter 6 of Galatians, verse 1. Brothers, sisters, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, or her in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And so Paul's saying that if any of us are caught in sin, this, is, this isn't caught like, oh, I caught you. This is caught like I'm tangled up in sin and I'm in a mess. He says if you're, you who are spiritual, restore that person. And sometimes we say, well, what about if it's this sin? He says, anyone caught in anything. 
There's nothing that God can't redeem or restore. Well, what if they did this? If any of you is caught in any sin, you who are spiritual should restore them in a spirit of gentleness. The first burden that Paul, and then in verse 2 he's going to say bear one another's burdens. The first burden that Paul addresses that we're called to carry for one another and help each other's shoulder, the first kind of piano that he talks about that we're called to pick up and end of and help, help each other carry is that burden that's universal, that every single one of us experiences, and that's the burden of sin. Every single person in this room, every person that read Galatians, every person that's ever read Galatians, every person that's ever lived has a burden of sin. And he says that, that, that part of what we do as believers in life together is we help each other bear that burden of sin, carry that burden of sin. Um, and, and, and so uh, I remember uh, uh, you know, when I would go fishing with my dad and uh, when, I was, when I was a kid, and you know how fishing with kids, like now I take my kids fishing and you know, there's multiple of them. We don't go fishing very often. We need to go fishing more. But, but what happens is I spend the whole time doing what? untangling fishing line, somebody's tangled up, rebaiting hooks, oh, somebody's tangled up again. And I can get frustrated about that until I remember that when my dad took me fishing, what did he spend all of his time doing? Untangling my line. And so it's easy when we come alongside somebody who's tangled up in sin, whatever that sin may be, it's easy to say, oh man, how could you do this thing? But then we remember, how many times have I been tangled up? That's why Paul says, keep an eye on yourself. Restore in a spirit of gentleness, keeping an eye on yourself. Um, when we see a brother or sister tangled up in sin, it's easy to respond with pride. Pride says, I'd never do that. You ever said that? Peter said that. I'll never deny Jesus. All the rest of these guys can, but I never will. You ever say, I'll never do that. That's what pride says. When we see a brother or sister tangled up in sin, maybe they're making an idol out of relationship or an idol out of work or money or they're in a lifestyle that's destructive out of sync with God's word. They're displaying an attitude of superiority or pride or they're stuck in shame or they're full of contempt or they're constantly offended, whatever it is. The easy thing to do is kind of be like my neighbors and kind of shake your head and say, and looks like they need some help over there. But Paul says, help carry that burden. Remembering how many times you've been burdened before. Paul's saying, go help untangle that fishing line. Knowing how many times your line has been tangled before. You can help somebody stuck in sin by coming alongside them and being a friend. And one thing that you can ask, and one thing you can ask yourself, and one thing you can ask your friend is, is what I'm doing right now God's best? Is what you're doing, the lifestyle you're living, God's best for you? If there's a question about that, let's go to God's Word. What does God's Word say? Is the life that I'm in, is, 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 is the thing that I'm stuck in, that I'm tangled in, is this God's best for me? Or does he have something better for me? And so this process of coming alongside one another when we're stuck in sin um, is called, often called church discipline. Or sometimes it's called loving correction. Or sometimes it's called spiritual restoration. But when we hear that word church discipline, let's be honest, that sounds kind of scary, doesn't it? We think of the inquisition or we think of um, like that dude in Braveheart that tortured Mel Gibson. I think, we think that's what church discipline is about. It's about humiliating somebody. Let's bring them in front of them and humiliate them in front of everybody. But the vast majority of church discipline, the vast majority of spiritual restoration takes place between friends who love Jesus and love each other. And they know each other. And they've built trust together, whether that's your life group or your re-engage group or your region group or your coffee group or your workout group or, or your uh, cigar group or whatever it is. 
you've got community with one another, you've built trust with one another, one is in a mess, and the other says, what are we going to do about this? And Paul tells us why we do that. He says, restore one another. He says, if anyone is caught in any transgression, tangled up in sin, you who are spiritual should restore him or her in a spiritual gentleness. Restoration is the goal of church discipline. Restoration is the goal of loving correction. He doesn't say the goal is to go break the person up and chop them up into little pieces. He says the goal is restoration. And that word for restore um, is the word uh, used in those days of a doctor who would reset a broken bone. And, and so he's saying restore one another. It's like you've got a broken femur sticking out of your leg and somebody's going to come alongside and help you reset that bone. Is that going to hurt? You bet that's going to hurt, but it's going to feel a lot better than the alternative. So imagine you've got a broken bone. That word's also used of the disciples mending nets in the gospel stories. It's also used in Ephesians 4.12. It's translated equipping. The job of church leaders is to equip the saints. And the idea in all those instances is something that had become unfit for use, becoming restored and fit for use for the purpose that it was created for. That's what restoration is about. And so imagine you go to a doctor and your, and your leg is broken, but he's too nice to tell you and too nice to do anything for, for you. Or imagine you go to a doctor and, and, uh, and your leg is broken and she just grabs your leg and yanks on it as hard as she can. Neither one of those is a great option, is it? But in church, as the church, so often when we're dealing with correcting one another, we tend to either be so timid that we, that, that we, don't, that we don't speak the truth, or we become so harsh that we're condemning. And guys, it is hard to get this right. I certainly am not an expert at getting this right. This is something that we got to work at getting right. But when you walk along somebody, think about what kind of doctor would I need or want in this situation. I need a doctor that's going to tell me the truth, but that's going to gently restore me. How, the why we want to see restoration happen, the how do we bear each other's burdens when it's a sin burden, he says in a spirit of gentleness and humility. He says keep a watch on yourself. That leads to humility. When I look at how many times I've been messed up and tangled up, that leads to humility. Who does it? Who is responsible for restoring? He says you who are spiritual. And some of us in here might say, Whew. I'm so glad because I'm not spiritual. So he's talking about some really... Now, if you're going to go confront or come alongside someone in their sin, there does need to be some semblance of the fruit of the Spirit in your life or you don't have any business confronting anybody else. But good news, bad news, if you know Jesus, that means the Spirit of God, the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, lives in you. That means you are spiritual. That means you have what it takes to come alongside somebody who's struggling and offer help. You are not the answer, but you are going to come alongside and point them to the answer. You cannot fix it, but you can help carry it to the one who can fix it. Where? Where? So we talked about the how, the who, the why. What's the goal? You ever move in somebody and you're, you're holding a really big piece of furniture and they're really um, uh, undecided about where to put it? And you're like, they're like, well, maybe this wall, maybe that wall, maybe upstairs, maybe in the basement, maybe out in the lawn. And, and, and you're like, I can't hold this piano forever. 
okay? Uh, eventually, I'm going to have to put this thing down. And so sometimes if you walk alongside somebody and you're, you're attempting to bear a burden for them, you've got to keep and you've got to help them keep the destination in mind. The goal of moving a piano isn't so that you can hold it for the rest of your life. The goal is to take it to the place that it belongs. And the place your sin burden belongs is at the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the destination. It's not for you to strap it to yourself and carry it around for the rest of your life. You can't carry that for anybody. The word for bear burdens is the same word used for Jesus bearing, carrying the cross. It's something that we couldn't carry on our own, and we certainly can't carry for anybody else. But you can say, let me help you pick up a piece of this burden, and we're going to take it, we're going to lay it down at the cross of Jesus Christ. And there's going to come a point, if you want to hold on to this burden forever, I'm going to have to let you because I can't. I can't. The destination is the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, that may take years. But the goal, the destination is the cross of Jesus Christ. Help your friend. If you are a friend, help them carry their burden to the cross. You can't fix it, but you can help carry it to the one who can. Love passionately pursues restoration. Love patiently bears each other's burdens. And in verse 2, Paul broadens the scope of burdens beyond sin burdens to all the burdens of life that we carry. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So, I mean, so we all have these universal, this universal burden of sin, but we also have emotional burdens we carry. We have mental burdens we carry. We have family burdens we carry. We have, we have, we have um, uh, financial burdens we carry. We have health burdens that we carry. We have all these different kinds of burdens that we carry. And Paul says, uh, for all of us, he says, come alongside one another and help each other carry that. And so, um, the, with these burdens that we're carrying... I've got this choice to make. Am I going to fix my mind on this person's sin and take a posture of superiority? Or am I going to fix my mind on the cross of Jesus Christ and take a position of servanthood? Because if I'm fixing my eyes on your sin and I view myself as better than you because I'm having a good day and you're having a bad day, then I'm going to want to look down on you as superior. But if I fix my eyes on the cross of Jesus Christ and realize that if it wasn't for Him man, where would I be? Then that's always, 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 185% of the time going to lead us to take a posture of servanthood. How can I help? The law of Christ here is this new commandment that Jesus gives us in John 13, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you. How did he love us? Not from a distance, not with his hands in his pockets, not shaking his head. He comes to us and he does for us what we could not do for ourselves. And as he has been to us, so we are called to be others really funny thing here not like lol funny but funny kind of funny is that is that the galatians are obsessed with keeping the law and so paul is saying to them you want to keep a law keep the law of christ bear each other's burdens and so we might read this and say yeah it's about time somebody needs to come help me bear my burdens nobody's been helping me carry my burdens and the thing with that is Paul is not giving us one more thing here to be entitled to. He's giving us a challenge. Charles Spurgeon said, I have found that men naturally draw this inference. We are to help one another, therefore please help me. The proper inference would be, we are to help one another. Where is the person who I am to help? If nobody's helped you carry your burdens, I'm sorry. Spare somebody else of that. Be the kind of friend that you wish somebody would have been for you. And don't look around for somebody to help you carry your bags. You help somebody carry theirs. Verse 3. For if anyone thinks he is something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Pride is deceptive. 
Verse 4, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself and not in his neighbor. I think part of what he's saying here is, I can look over, if Cody's having a bad day, I can look over at Cody and say, mm-hmm. well, I always knew, I always knew that, that, that Cody was kind of here and I was kind of there. If I compare my best day and his worst day, and what Paul is saying is, our calling is not to compare ourselves to our neighbor and say, well, at least I'm doing better than no will. Our, call, our plumb line isn't Will or Matt or Ashley. Our plumb line is Jesus Christ. And I look at Jesus and I say, okay, yeah, maybe there's some repentance that needs to be happening. Because at Judgment Day, he's not going to say, well, at least, man, at, at, at least you did a better job than Travis. That's not even going to be part of the conversation. He's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? Jesus is our plumb line. Verse 5. Each will have to bear his own load. Now, we read that. It's like... What are we talking about? He just said, verse 2, bear each other's burdens. Now he says each one must bear his own load. Which is it? Is he contradicting himself? And I say no. See, verse 2 is talking about today. Verse 5 says each one will have to, on some future day, carry his own load. So today, you and I are called to carry each other's burdens. But there's coming a day, and a specific day, when we will each stand before God and nobody's going to be able to carry your burden then. I'm going to answer before God. Part of what I'm going to answer for is how did I help you carry your burdens? Did I help you carry your burdens? And did you? But when I stand before God one day, there's going to be a load, there's going to be a burden, there's going to be a responsibility that nobody else can carry for me. I'm not going to be able to say, I would have done better, Lord, if it wasn't for this wife you'd given me. I'm not going to be able to say, God, if my small group hadn't have been so lame, if my preacher had done a better job, none of that is going to work, and you won't even think about using those words. You will answer for whether or not you carried burdens for others. You'll answer for what you did with what you had. What you did with what you had, regardless of whether everybody else in the world let you down or not. That burden of responsibility for God is something that Jesus has picked up and he's carried for you. What will you do? How will you respond? You can't fix anybody, but you can help them fix their eyes on the one who can. So let's talk about practicals before we wrap up. Again, we have sin burdens, we have emotional burdens, financial burdens, health burdens, family burdens, emotional burdens, mental burdens, all kinds of burdens. How can we help one another bear those? Again, we do so gently. We come alongside one another. How can I help? We do so patiently. Man, God, God was patient with you. You know that, right? Man, God's been patient with me. So we bear each other's burdens patiently. We bear each other's burdens just by offering our presence. You know, your presence in somebody's life, your face in somebody's life, can be a huge burden lifter in itself. We talked in, in last week and again in the, in the campfire story about just the importance of showing up, your presence, sincere prayer. When somebody shares a burden, whether it's health, financial, sin, whatever, the first and the best and the most important, and even if you don't feel like you're good at praying, hey, that sounds hard. Can we pray about that? Thank you for sharing. Let's pray about it and then continue to pray for them even if they don't know it. Tangible acts of service. I mentioned George and Jerry and Travis and, 
and my, and my friends who helped me move, those are tangible acts of service. People just saw a need and said, I can't fix it, but I can help. Why do we take food to people when somebody dies? One said in the first service is because we're Baptists. That probably has something to do with it, but <laughs> we, we can't fix everything, but we do what we can do. Here's a casserole, and we don't think that that's going to fix it, but it's just something tangible we can do that says, I love you, and I care about you. I can mow your grass. I can... I can, I can take your trash. I can, I can do this tangible thing. We, we bear each other's burdens by generous giving. That's part of why we give here is because together we shoulder the burden of the mission and the vision of this church to reach Sweetwater, to reach our world, and we cooperate together. Vanansi from Rwanda is here, and she's going to speak with our, she's speaking to a Sunday school class now. She's going to speak to our leadership team later. And it's, we're coming alongside her and financially uh, bearing the burden for her missionaries around the world. We bear that burden for her so that they can do their work. We, in life groups, sometimes we, one is struggling, so we bear that burden financially for one another. You know, sometimes you're helping somebody move, and maybe you drop something really valuable. Has this ever happened to anybody? I had a friend, um, and uh, I hope she's not watching right now, but I had a friend who um, had some, uh, some uh, difficulty with, with mobility, and uh, we were moving, and uh, I was telling a couple friends about this, these two pieces of furniture, like the nicest two pieces of furniture we had, and how we still have them, and how uh, the history of them, there are these antiques, and we inherited them. And I look up, and this sweet girl is carrying one of those out all by herself. And everybody's just kind of, it's like a, tra- it's like, no! And, 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 and she, she, she kind of loses her footing, and she, she doesn't fall, but she drops the, 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 the case. And it kind of, in slow motion, it just end over end. Over end. And every time it drops, we're all just like. And then, it, and then it, it hits another case, the other one that matches it. And they hit something else. And there's just this domino effect of carnage all around the yard. And we're like, oh, it's okay. I mean, that'll buff out. You know, that'll buff out. It's okay. Her heart was in the right place, but she ended up making a bigger mess. That ever you? That's me on like at least a weekly, if not daily basis. Two things to remind yourself of when that happens. When you step in to bear a burden and you drop it and you, and you make a bigger mess, two things happen there. One, that keeps you humble. And two, it keeps them reliant on Jesus, not you. Because you weren't ever the solution to begin with. You weren't ever the fix to begin with. And so you stay humble and they can keep their eyes focused on Jesus and not you. There's a difference between bearing burdens. The band can come up if y'all are around. There's a difference between bearing burdens and owning them. The guys that help me move my piano, they don't come tune my piano for me. They don't come polish my piano for me. They didn't take it home with them, strapped to their back. They left it. Once it got to its destination, they left it there. Now, I can go pull around that piano all I want, but those guys that moved it, they ain't going to do it because they put it where it belongs. And so, don't strap people's burdens onto you for life. Carry them to Jesus. Fix them. Fix your eyes and their eyes on Jesus. You can't fix it, but you can help carry them to Jesus. You can help point them to Jesus. Especially when it comes to people that are offended all the time. You don't bear somebody's burden if this is this person that's constantly offended. Don't be offended, please. But if you're constantly offended, you're not going to be a friend by saying, yeah, the world is out to get you, and just join them in their misery there. No, that's not going to help. 
You can bear that burden by pointing them to the cross of Jesus Christ, not by joining them in the mire. So I want to close with a prayer written by J.D. Greer, phenomenal pastor, preacher, communicator, author. This is a prayer, just hear this prayer. We'll publish it later, but hear this prayer and just let this be your prayer to God. God, there is nothing I have done that could make you love me less and nothing I could do that would make you love me more. You are all I need for everlasting joy. As you have been to me, so I will be to others. As I pray, I'll do so according to the compassion you've shown at the cross and the power you demonstrated through the resurrection. I want to focus there on point three. As you have been to me, so I will be to others. God has been good to me. I suspect he's been good to you. As he has been to you, so you are called to be to others. That's why we bear burdens. Not because we're great, not because we're nice, but because as he has been to you, so you will be to others.